0: Hello and welcome to Palace Confidential, the home of the very best royal experts and commentators coming to you from Mail Plus, as always. Today's guests on the show are the Daily Mail's Royal Editor Rebecca English, Saturday Diary Editor Richard Eden and Royal Writer Victoria Murphy. Here's what's coming up. Archie is to be a big brother as Harry and Meghan announce baby number two is on the way. And what do the Duchess of York and the Duchess of Sussex have in common? An interview with Oprah Winfrey, of course, we discuss what's sure to be the biggest TV moment of 2021. But first up, of course, we have the news about Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, who on Tuesday was admitted to hospital. The Daily Mail's royal editor, Rebecca English, is here to tell us all the details now. Rebecca, coming to you first, obviously, this is quite worrying news for the royal family. What, What can you tell us?
1: It is. I mean, the Duke of Edinburgh was taken into hospital on Tuesday, uh, just four months short of his 100th birthday. Buckingham Palace have been at great pains to stress that it is precautionary, that he wasn't admitted as an emergency. He was driven from Windsor. He walked in. Um, We don't know what is wrong with him, but we do know that it's not Covid and he will be in hospital for a few days. Um, he's been unwell and that's all they've told us at the moment but obviously you know any illness involving a man of 99 in any hospitalisation at the moment
0: is some cause for concern. I mean 99 it's hard to get your head around really isn't it but I I believe he walked into the hospital so he's been in reasonably good health lately is that right?
1: He has. I mean, last time I spoke to some people who'd seen him, they said he was actually on sparkling form, pretty sprightly. Um, But obviously, you know, I mean, at this age, you know, they can get a winter chill, you know, which can become more serious. I mean, as I say, the Palace is stressing to me that it's not that his condition has worsened. It's really that it's, it's just not got better. And they think, you know, with an abundance of caution, let's get him in. Let's get him checked over. And hopefully he will be out in a few days time
0: one man who knows Philip very well is biographer and former photographer Ian Lloyd, who has a book out about the Duke of Edinburgh this very week. Here he is talking through some of the standout moments of Prince Philip's life.
2: Prince Philip gave an amazing contribution, I think, to, this, uh, to the monarchy and to the Queen, a great help. Um, early on, when, he became, uh, when the Queen became Queen, he was the consort. He, he didn't have an obvious role. If you're the Queen consort, like his mother-in-law, Queen Elizabeth, there are certain things... That you do, that the king wouldn't do. So you divide the role between the two. Uh, when it's a queen like our queen, you, everything goes through her more or less. So um, Philip didn't have an obvious role. So um, he developed his own very, very soon after he became, uh, after they became, came to the throne, and he took on over the years some eight hundred organisations, military and also uh, uh, various charities. Um, the Duke of Edinburgh Awards schemed also World Wildlife. Fund uh, and a whole variety of um of smaller charities um uh, both here and in throughout the commonwealth over the years um because he he worked for 65 years from 1952 until he retired at the eight, m- amazing age of 96 i mean he, it's it's phenomenal when you think about it but um he retired in 2017 and by then he'd done over 22,000 solo engagements that's obviously just him, as well as accompanying Queen on all her um, tours um, uh, through the Commonwealth and, um, um, well, around the world. I mean, they've been to nearly every country. There's only a handful of countries between them. They didn't go. And on top of that, he did his own tours. There was over 600 solo tours that Philip made. So it's a vast contribution. It was estimated by Buckingham Palace that he'd done um, 5,500 speeches, uh, it was all made easier by um, the improvements in uh, um, the way we get around the planet. I mean, one of the first tour took six or seven months because they had to go by ship to um, Australia and um, uh, New Zealand and Canada. And they were great imperial tours in the 1950s, but by the 70s it was um, it was possible to fly to Australia for the Queen to open the Sydney Opera House in virtually a weekend. So it was it was um, it was a lot easier and. Uh, Philip himself embraced the um, uh, flying. He, um, uh, apparently Winston Churchill was horrified because he took to the helicopter, which Churchill tried to stop him doing. This was in, this was in the coronation year of 1953, and Prince Philip um, took to flying a helicopter to visit the uh, troops that were coming over for the coronation. Um, he got his RAF wings that year in 1953, and his helicopter wings three years later, 1956. 56, and by the end of the 50s, he's also got a a private pilot's license. So he um, flew um, 59 types of aircraft, which is quite a lot, and uh, completed almost 6,000 flying hours. And he only retired again flying in 1997 at the age of 76. So um, that was a considerable uh, career. He landed. Uh, he uh, he ended it a bit better than Prince Charles, who ignominiously crash-landed one of the Queen's uh, jets on uh, a Scottish island, and uh, that was the the end of his uh, flying career.
0: Richard, you must have a top 10, at least, of Philippisms by now. What's your favourite moment?
3: Well, I've only met Prince Philip once, when I was invited to a party at um, Buckingham Palace. And surprise, surprise, I I wasn't invited back after writing about it in a newspaper diary. But Prince Philip sort of did the rounds and he, he he came up to us and he started grilling me and he said, oh, um, which new newspaper are you from? And I said, oh, from the Daily Telegraph, you know, thinking he would like that. And he said, ah, which department? And I said, oh, the Social Diary. And he said, ah, the Fiction Department. Um, I think he was joking.
0: <laughs> well. <laughs>
3: <laughs> we had had a few run-ins with him in the past, but. No, I mean, the, the thing that's great about Prince Philip is, you know, in this day and age of political correctness and cancel culture and everyone afraid to say things, he's always being there with a, um, shall we say, a sort of ribald comment or a, a gaffe, as they're usually called, to try and um, lighten the atmosphere and I think make it much easier for the Queen as well. I mean, there's so many, aren't there, of things he's said over the years. I mean, one of my favourites, when he was on a visit to Scotland and he got talking to a driving instructor... And, and he said to him, God, how do you keep the natives here off the booze long enough to pass the test? It didn't go down very well, but it was...
0: <laughs> Did it not? What a surprise.
4: I'm not sure I can top enough fiction <laughs> comment, honestly. Um, but, you know, I loved covering Philip's engagements when he was working royal. Obviously, we don't see him um, making public appearances anymore since he retired. Um, but what I do really remember was um, a garden party, which was uh, at Buckingham Palace, and it happened to coincide with the exact um date of his birthday um and as journalists you know we were chatting to people afterwards finding out what had been said and it transpired basically that people had been advised not to mention his birthday in advance of meeting him and uh, a woman had actually bought him a present and he had said to her oh can you just put it over there because I don't want to lug it round the garden um and and I can sort of understand because you know you don't want hundreds of people saying happy birthday to you when it's not meant that's not meant to be what the day's about but I think it does just kind of sum him up you know he didn't really want to be the center of attention he didn't want it to be about him um and you know I think the other thing it was his 93rd birthday and just absolutely incredible that um he was still carrying out official engagements when he was 93 and up
0: until he was 96 when he retired Oh, Rebecca, you've met him a few times, surely. Has he ever cracked a joke at your expense? Well,
1: I do remember, well, I can't remember when what year it was, but I do remember one occasion when he had been ill. I think he might have come out of hospital even, and we were on a job and kind of we as the press chorus kind of shouted out, you know, how are you, sir? And, you know, he turned around and was like, well, do I look bloody ill, you know? He was really snappy about it. But I, I quite like that. I quite like the fact that he's pretty defined about it. You know, he's known as the Iron Duke and, you know, and, and rightly so. Um I, I, Although sometimes I think people forget about him, that there is quite a kind of serious size to him. He's very bookish. He's passionate about engineering and science. You know, he set up the Duke of Edinburgh Award. So, you know, we, we have these kind of funny stories, but there is there is a more serious side. I think he's he's got a kind of quiet legacy that people
0: perhaps won't realize um fully until he's gone do you know the one word prince philip has said to me oh go on detail joe he said "Ooh," when i was introduced to him and somebody whispered in his ear that i was the editor of glamour magazine that's my only exchange with prince philip
1: <laughs> but what do you think it meant joe All <laughs> was it great or ooh, was it <laughs> probably better
4: than being shouted
0: at so yeah well I know all of us will be keeping the Queen and the Royal Family in our thoughts at this difficult time and here at Palace Confidential we will have more news for you on this as it breaks but like any family the Royal Family has its happy times and sad times sometimes all rolled into one and there was happier news this week when Harry and Meghan announced that baby number two was on the way making a big brother of little Archie and then straight after that, they followed the news that they've sat down, or well, particularly Meghan has sat down, for a tell all interview with Oprah Winfrey. Where even to begin? Well, of course, with the Daily Mail's royal editor, Rebecca English, who's with us now. So, Rebecca, what's this? We hear about another royal baby, or even indeed, will it be a royal baby number two?
1: It will. So, on Valentine's Day, I think quite appropriately, Harry and Meghan announced that they are going to become parents again. They're expecting their second child. Um, They were very keen to put the focus on Archie. So the statement actually was saying Archie is going to become a big brother. Um, We don't know when the baby is due, but there's been some fairly, I think, informed speculation that she might even be as much as five months pregnant. So uh, it looks like we'll be having a summer baby.
0: Victoria, this baby number two, do you get the feeling that this is something that's been planned for some time for Harry and Meghan?
4: Absolutely. I mean, it definitely has. And, you know, we do know that as well, because um, she obviously wrote that quite moving op-ed um, about suffering from a miscarriage in the summer. I think something a lot of people can relate to. And there was, you know, a lot of um, empathy for them over that story. And, you know, it's lovely that they've gone on to to have another pregnancy and they're expecting a second child. Um, I think for me, kind of what really stood out about the announcement was that even though the circumstances are totally different to the circumstances in which they announced they were pregnant with Archie when they said they were pregnant with their first child. They were about to embark on a big royal tour. Obviously now they've totally left royal life. But for me, it, it it kind of felt very similar. It felt very much like a royal baby announcement. You know, the way that it was responded to, the way that it was covered. We saw all the broadcasters, the BBC, you know, covering it. And we that's not how we cover celebrity pregnancy announcements. So it really reminded me of this sort of unique position that they have on the world stage now where they are still very much a royal story and I'm not sure that they will ever be anything else.
0: Richard, they announced the news on Valentine's Day and not everybody was thrilled about the way it was announced. Well, what's your take?
3: Well, wasn't this classic Harry and Meghan. You know, in the past we'd have a you know what they would see probably as a boring old statement from the palace. But here we are, you know, with a picture, a very Hollywood-style picture in their garden um, announcing their news to the world. I mean, what, what's so fascinating about this baby is, you know, he will be born in America, but he will be eighth in line to the throne uh, of the British crown. So, you know, I don't think we've ever had that situation before. Um, it's truly, um, you know, momentous in that way. And, and I thought the picture was was so interesting, wasn't it? I mean, it was classic Harry and Meghan. Um you know, even the bare feet, Harry's bare feet. You know, I can't remember ever seeing royal bare feet in any sort of um, formal picture, let alone an announcement of a of a new baby. And what I did find a bit odd as well was, um, you know, and Rebecca's talked about how in the statement, you know, Archie was centre stage, but why wasn't he in the picture? It did seem a, a little bit strange. I thought.
0: So, hang on a minute. You 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 said he w- would be in line for the throne. Do you, have you heard? But what, what the sex
3: of the baby is. No, sorry, that was a slip of the tongue. I should have said tut, uh
0: here, here. <laughs> <I> still, <laughs> we still don't know the, the sex of the baby. Oh I thought we had a big scoop there.
1: <laughs> well I, I might just add one thing. I mean Richard says like normally we'd get a boring old announcement from Buckingham Palace, but I remember and I think Vic probably will do too when we found out that Megan was pregnant for the first time. We were all in Australia waiting their arrival for their big first you know tour together as a married couple and um, (laughs) their head of press had had an accident that was back in the UK and we'd all arrived for a pre-tour press conference and we were told that uh, he needed to speak to us as part of a conference call so I mean all all the cogs started turning we were pretty sure what they were going to tell us Um, but no one could do this call properly so we ended up with a phone in a coffee cup to try and magnify the sound to all of us, all crouched round the table with our ears pinned to it, listening to the news coming back from England. So I, you know, I just would, just wanted to mention it because I don't think royal baby announcements are always that straightforward.
3: And of course the significance of the date wasn't just that it was Valentine's Day, but it was the 37th anniversary of Princess Diana announcing that she was pregnant with Harry. So I think they did deliberately choose that day for its significance and again it sort of draws comparisons with Diana which which they've always wanted.
0: So Rebecca, we know that Harry and Meghan told the Queen about the pregnancy before they announced it to the world. But what what about this Oprah interview? Do you think that they? Do you think maybe Oprah was the first one to know? Yeah, Buckingham Palace were
1: completely in the dark about this, as were the royal family. I mean, obviously, as Buckingham Palace stated, is that you know they they're no longer working royals. There's no obligation on Harry and Meghan to tell them that they were doing this. Although you'd like to think that they would have told their family, and I, I think that only goes. To emphasize the gulf there is between them in California and this new life that they're pursuing, kind of in in the showbiz world,
0: uh, compared to what the royal family are all about here. Mm. And what do you think? Can you have any idea at the moment what is going to be contained in this interview? I feel like the whole world will stop to watch. Well,
1: everything by all accounts. I mean, Gail King, who is a U.S. journalist, that's a friend of both Meghan's and Oprah, openly said on TV that Oprah had been told nothing is off limits, and certainly the CBS press release suggested it would cover everything from, you know, how Meghan dealt with her time as a royal, um, you know, the whole acrimonious makes it split you know, family life and also, you know, more positive aspects about, you know, their new life in the States and what they want to do philanthropically. Um, it is, large. I should stress, largely Meghan's interview, although we're told Harry will come in towards the end to talk about future plans. Now, their spokespeople have been briefing this week that, you know, she will do nothing to embarrass the Queen. But I think it kind of misses the point that the fact that they're doing this interview is an embarrassment in itself because, as we've seen over the years when it came to Diana the Prince of Wales and more recently the Duke of York when the royal family do these sit down tell all interviews they don't end well and they've realised you know it's not what they should be doing. As I say before I think it emphasises this schism between the way Harry and Meghan are going to conduct themselves moving forward to the way the, the royal family traditionally conduct themselves in the UK.
0: Richard, how do you think this squares with, you know, we understood that Meghan and Harry walked away for, you know, because wanting to have private lives and to have their privacy, how does this square with with that at the moment?
3: As you know, I've always been a big fan of Harry and Meghan, but, sorry, I have been becoming more cynical over recent days. I mean, it, it can't be a coincidence that as soon as they've got their privacy case out of the way... Um, which they won, you know, just days after they announced um, the pregnancy with a picture of uh, of them in very sort of intimate way. Um, and then they announced this, you know, tell-all interview with the Queen of the Confessional, Oprah Winfrey. Um, you know, it's, it's really hard um, not to be cynical about it. Uh,
0: Victoria, do you think that the sussex's prs have got this a bit wrong that you know the 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 baby announcement has really become somewhat overshadowed by this bombshell about the oprah interview
4: yeah well i don't think that they were completely in control of the timing of the oprah announcement so i think itv actually got wind that the interview was going to take place and so they pulled the oprah announcement forward um but you know with the baby announcement i think once there was that huge initial flurry um there wasn't actually a lot more to say you know happy news and and but with Oprah, I think it, it, you know there's obviously this huge debate around it. And I can completely understand that because, as Rebecca said, you look back over history and you look at royal interviews and they've always proven to be hugely controversial. And this is going to be you know, a 19-minute interview. I think it's just trying to sort of understand a bit about why they might be doing it. I mean, I think Harry and Meghan are very preoccupied with being heard and with being understood. It's a risky strategy because once the more you sort of air your grievances, talk about your thoughts and feelings, the more the debate around them will be
0: fueled. Mm. Richard, I've got a couple of questions for you. It's like how much editorial control do you think they will have agreed with Oprah? And how long do you think this may have been in the works?
3: I think it's a um, really tricky one for Oprah and um, fascinating because, you know, she's built her amazing reputation on really getting... Getting the most out of guests and getting them to confess things that they never normally would. That's the basis for her success. So, no way will Oprah want it to be some sort of sycophantic, um, you know, love in with Meghan. She will want some hard questions. And and I'm sure Meghan's got a lot to say. We saw that, you know, even with the Tom Bradby documentary that was meant to be about their work in Africa. That became, um, you know, a bit of a whinge about um, the couple themselves. So, I think there's no question that, you know, Oprah will ask difficult questions and I I think she'll get some answers. Um, But in terms of how long it's been in the works, well, I mean, again, being cynical, I'd say even before the Royal Wedding. You know, I remember watching those guests arrive at St George's Chapel and we saw Oprah there and we thought, didn't even know that she knew Harry and Meghan. And after doing some investigating, it turns out that she'd met Meghan only once and I think she'd never met Harry. so, you know, it does seem to be a question of them sort of using each other. You know, she's um, courted them over the past three years and and they've been happy to to give an interview. Um, but it, it does make you wonder what, what were they thinking even before the royal wedding? You know, what, what were they planning, particularly Meghan? I remember that before the wedding, we spoke to a, on the diary, we spoke to a junior member of the royal family who was genuinely surprised and disappointed not to have been invited to the wedding. And it turns out that, you know, loads of people who'd grown up with um, with Harry and Kensington Palace and others weren't invited, yet there were people there like Oprah, who was given a prime pew, literally directly opposite the royal family in the choir of St George's Chapel. So, you know, they really were courting her as much as she was courting them.
0: Do you agree with that, Rebecca?
1: I do. I mean, this... <laughs> although although the timing is a surprise to the royal household, the fact that they've done this isn't a surprise i mean i I think they thought this was you know very likely to happen. Uh, of course, they hope they wish they it wouldn't because, as someone said to me the other day, I just don't see how this will go uh, in any way to repairing relationships between Harry and his family. Um, you know, surely, you know, no good can come out of it, even if, you know, they're not overly critical uh, of the royal family and the, you know, the palace institution itself. Um, I mean, I I think people hoped that it would, or expected it to be at least after their kind of this 12 months review had been concluded,
0: but clearly they can't wait that long. And just like that is the end of another show. Thank you to all my guests, Richard Eden, Victoria Murphy, Rebecca English and Ian Lloyd. For more royal news, you can always follow us at Twitter at MailPlus. Until then, we will see you next time on Palace Confidential.